almost two months in, and the novelties of lockdown have worn thin. This isn't the time when you're going to be the perfect parent, running the perfect, you know, school classroom and the perfect babysitting service. As it's Mental Health Awareness Week, we thought we'd check in. How are people coping? What can you do to feel a bit better? The feelings that people are feeling, you're not alone. In fact, we're all having those exact same feelings to some degree, and we can all help each other get out of this. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, lessons in happiness. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Matthew Paris, Times columnist. I'm afraid this is completely unhelpful for most people, but it's the truth. What I've loved about lockdown is that I've not been locked down. I've been outdoors. I live in the countryside. I can walk around the field. I can watch the spring. I can listen to the birds. I can do all the things that I never had time to do before. I understand that this is exactly what most people have not been able to do. This is Rachel Sylvester. I'm in lockdown in Hackney in East London. Nothing makes me happier than my family, so I'm actually quite enjoying being at home with everyone, having time to bake cakes, watch films and linger over meals, rather than endlessly rushing around to football training and party drop-offs. Hello, I'm Stig Abel. I'm editor of the TLS. Small things like rereading detective novels, which I do in the evening, and then big things like hanging out with my family. I see all three of my children far more than I ever have done before. I have a little two-year-old who spends all of lockdown running around naked, shouting happily at people, and that gives me great joy. 
It's Mental Health Awareness Week, and with the world in lockdown and medical experts warning about the effects on our mental health, it's never seemed more important to understand the secrets of what makes people happy. The first time I taught the class, I expected it to be kind of small, but it wound up being over a thousand students who enrolled in the class and wanted to take it. Laurie Santos is professor of psychology at Yale. She almost caused a stampede when she launched a new class, which aimed to do something unusual. She wanted to teach students to be, well, happier. Yeah, which is a little surreal. It became the largest class ever in Yale's history. We had to teach it in a concert hall because that was the only spot we fit on campus. But it really showed me that, you know, so many people are looking for these tips, practical evidence-based strategies for what they can do to feel better. You know, I was seeing a lot of this college student mental health crisis. I mean, students who are just depressed and anxious and just feeling overwhelmed all the time. And that felt awful in part because, you know, this is my community of students. I wanted them to be happier. But more it felt awful because we know so many things in the social sciences in terms of what you can do to feel happier. They're really straightforward, evidence-based interventions that anyone can do to improve their well-being. But it really showed me that, you know, so many people are looking for these tips, you know, practical evidence-based strategies for what they can do to feel better. So, Laurie, we're in the middle of a global pandemic, on the brink of a global recession, and living through a lockdown, how do you cope? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, first just want to validate what you said, which is I think this is an incredibly stressful time in general, and it's a time that we really need to focus on our mental health if we want to be happier. I've really been focused on trying to take time for more social connection and really informal social connections. I've been doing like, you know, goofy spa nights with my college roommates and like yoga classes with friends of mine in other cities, just really trying to build an informal, fun social time. Another thing that's really non-negotiable for me is to take time for exercise. I think especially since we're not walking around as much, we really need time to protect our fitness, the mental health that we get from fitness. And so for me, it's been really making sure I do a half hour of cardio or half hour of yoga, just something to get my body moving. And then the final thing I think I'll say is that you really need to take time to just make sure we're regulating our emotions right now. Our fear is running amok, our kind of panic and anxiety is running amok, our uncertainty is running amok. And so I've been trying to take time to just, when I notice that my body is feeling that, to take a moment to just allow it to happen, to kind of accept it and to just kind of be with it. And that's been really powerful. It means that I'm not kind of faced with the fact that the anxiety is kind of making me do these kind of crazy things on the side. I'm really aware of what's going on. And so I can take the time my body needs to like process these negative emotions and just kind of be with them. How how do you regulate anxiety? What's the best way of dealing with it? Well, there's kind of two ways. One is to just make sure you're paying attention to what your body is doing when you're feeling anxious. It's often when our bodies are in complete fight or flight mode. So our sympathetic nervous system, which is our fight or flight system, kind of revs up. Our chest gets tight. Our muscles get tight. We're not allowing our body to do the things that our bodies need to be doing, like digesting and things like that. And there's a one way you can regulate the activity of your sympathetic nervous system, and that's through your breath. When our fight or flight system is active, 
animated. It's as though, you know, a tiger is about to jump out and attack us. And so our body is breathing really quickly. You know, we're ready to kind of just start sprinting. And by regulating your breath, by taking these slow, deep inhales, and even especially a really slow exhale, and trying to make that breath go through your belly rather than through your chest, you're signaling to your sympathetic nervous system that there's not really a threat. You know, if you're taking these slow, deep breaths, there can't be a tiger there to jump out at you. You know, it's okay. I'm feeling anxious. It's okay to feel anxious. Let me just breathe and so on. And I think that's especially true during this time of COVID-19. We all know the things we need to be doing to protect our physical health, like washing our hands and socially distancing. But I think a lot of us right now are struggling with what we can do to protect our mental health. Of course, some of those on the front lines of the crisis have far more to handle than most. And they have some surprising strategies. I think it was March 13th. I was in a meeting with other leaders of our emergency department. And uh, one of my colleagues brought up the fact that an emergency physician was affected in Seattle. Dr. Sanjay Shavakramani runs the emergency department in a hospital in Cincinnati, Ohio. He wrote to Laurie asking for advice on coping strategies for frontline workers. And that was when reality hit us, that things were coming and it was coming fast. Uh, and it was actually that moment that everything changed mentally for me as far as what I needed to do at that point. It wasn't a lot of feeling at that point. It was more panic and what do we do now? My nurse manager and I got together and for the next two days we spent probably over 30 hours planning and going forward. And that pattern actually lasted for about two weeks of me being in the hospital 12 to 16 hours a day, just you know, working on a whiteboard and planning to figure out what we wanted to do. I didn't give myself enough time to feel at that point, but I think it was necessary just to act. So I, I came home after the second day of full planning and I was exhausted. And I knew there was something kind of brewing underneath the surface for me, and I needed to process that. And so despite being worn out because of lack of sleep, I worked on my journal and I just got all my thoughts out there. And it was a lot of rambling, but what it really came down to was fear and anxiety. I mean, I had this feeling of, what am I doing here? I, yeah, I'm the leader of my department, but at the same time, I'm flinging myself fully into this and into a thing that could be deadly. And, you know, I have another option here. I could I could literally run away. You know, there were no travel restrictions at the time. I could find a deserted island and, and wait this out and see what happens. I kept having this fleeting feeling of wanting to run away. And that's where journaling came in for me of what do I want in my life? And in that moment of journaling, I saw myself in the future and I saw myself having run away and looking back at this. I realized I wouldn't be proud of what I did. Instead, if I stuck around and fought this thing and did my very best to lead my department through it, the real moment that kind of got me in that after those first 48 hours was, you know, if I'm on my deathbed in two weeks, which seemed like a true reality at that time, but if I'm on my deathbed, I will look back at this moment and, and be proud of it and not have regrets. anyone, whatever their circumstances, make themselves a bit happier? 
Well, if you're copying the things that very happy people do, one of the easiest ways to increase your well-being is to focus on your social connection. Every available survey that I know of of happy people suggests that happy people tend to be more social. They spend more time with other people and they really prioritize the time they spend with their friends and family members, the people they really care about. This is a tough one during the current time, right, because social distancing means that's a bit more challenging. But the good news is that that social connection can be in real life, but it can also just be in real time. Over Zoom or FaceTime, just the act of taking time to be with the people you care about in these virtual spaces can really bump up the feelings of connection that you're experiencing and thereby bump up your well-being too. And what are the other tips that you teach? So another tip, which I think is very relevant during COVID-19, is that we need to be more focused on other people if we want to be happier. In the culture right now, we have ideas of self-care, you know, treat yourself, you know, take care of yourself, selfish, selfish, selfish. But that's not what happy people do. I mean, happy people are the ones who are out there donating their time to charity. Happy people, when you control for their income, give more of their money to charity. And there's lots of experiments suggesting that if we want to be happier, we should actually be spending our time and our money on other people and not on ourselves. The the reason this is so valuable during the time of COVID-19 is I think, well, first of all, it's just an easy way that we can boost up our own well-being, which we all need. But it's a way that we can do so while also helping the people who are incredibly vulnerable right now. You know, the people who really need it, who are sick or who are immunocompromised and need folks to check in on them. This is a time when we can really be doubling down on our nice activities for other people. We have a little bit more time. You know, we're not spending an hour on it every day on our commute to work. And those little temporal windfalls are ways that we could use time to help other people. You know, call that elderly neighbor, advocate for, for healthcare workers who really need some help. That will help our well-being much more than we really expect. For lots of people, being in lockdown will be quite an isolating experience. You know, a lot of the things that normally make people happy, whether it's spending time with friends, sitting outside, being able to hug someone or or take part in team sports, none of that's available to them anymore. How, How do you cope with that? I think we just need to get creative. I can't necessarily chat with the barista at the coffee shop or see my coworkers in the office, but, you know, I can call those coworkers up. You know, I can take some time to make appointments with my family members so that we can have dinner together or something like that all online. Same thing, I think, importantly with exercise. I think one of the great things about this crisis is that gyms all over the world, personal trainers all over the country, they're putting content online completely for free that you can do from the comfort of your living room. You know, how often do I think like, oh, I would only exercise if I could like get all the way out to the gym, but that feels like a pain. You know, if we pick up a habit of throwing down a bath towel and doing, you know, a quick 20 minute workout, that's a habit that we want to stick even when we get out of this crisis, too. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. 
When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. You said for the first 48 hours or so, you just set to work preparing in the hospital and were working and you were incredibly busy. Did it help to be busy and, and to be doing practical things? Or was it worse not being able to just stop and, and process the scale of what was coming? Actually, the the first 48 hours and the first two weeks, um, it, it was great. And actually, I, I know it sounds weird to say it was great, but for me, once I came to the realization of this is a life or death situation, it opened my eyes to what I wanted to do and who I wanted to be. And that feeling led to my purpose in this. I started to live in the hospital, essentially. You know, I have an inflatable mattress in there, just in case. I bought a ton of snacks, and those were in my office, and I was just ready to hunker down. But after two weeks, I remember being out on the floor and, and just talking to people. And one of my colleagues, she looks at me, and she says, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I said, I, I, I've been living here. I don't know if you've noticed. Like, I'm here. She's like, yeah, we're good, though. We, we don't need you. And it, to be to be honest, that, that was a sense of, I, I felt a true sense of rejection at that point. At that very moment, it was like, what, what do you mean you don't need me? And it was going home and sleeping on it and thinking back to it. And I realized I had done my job. I had set my department up in the way I wanted to. It was my own little achievement. And so I, I rested happily on that and I haven't fully pulled back, but it's given me the ability to, to trust in my team because I have an amazing, you know, I have an amazing team. They can do this uh, on their own. They just needed me to set up the safety valves and all of the protocols for them to make sure we were ready in case things got worse. For some people, the difficulty will be, the, you know, the, the loneliness and, and, you know, needing social interaction. For others, they'll be seeing much more of people who they're closely related to than they normally do. Does that have an impact on your happiness? And is it good or bad? I think it depends on the relationship you're engaging in. If you have, you know, a really strong marriage and your main problem has been that you haven't seen your partner in a really long time, I think getting stuck with them in lockdown can be fantastic. If you're stuck in lockdown and you're kind of needling each other and sort of griping and not having a good time with the people you're with, then it can be really stressful. And so I think one way to deal with those stresses is, first of all, just to be mindful of them, right? Like, this is the nature of this situation. It's not anything you're doing wrong. It's just that relationships are challenging. The second way to promote well-being in that situation is to really downgrade your expectations a little bit. You know, this isn't the time when you're going to be the perfect parent, you know, running the perfect school classroom and the perfect babysitting service. You can kind of downgrade what you expect to be doing during this time. Same goes for romantic relationships. 
If you're stuck in the house with your husband or wife, this isn't the time to expect the marriage to be perfect, perfect, perfect. People are going to be wearing their dirty pajamas. You know, people are going to be maybe not, you know, cleaning the dishes in the way they would before. But I think really striking the balance on those expectations and giving yourself and the people around you the benefit of the doubt can be a mindset shift that can really promote well-being. So you talked about journaling. What are the other methods you use to try to make yourself a bit happier? I'm into fitness, and so fitness has been big for me. I I meditate every morning for at least 10 minutes. Carving out time for that was an important thing to learn during this time because sometimes my days have been starting at 6 in the morning. If that involves waking up at 4.30 in the morning so I can get these things done, it's been a thing. Well, it's, it's actually pretty easy now because I can sleep at 8.30 and uh, I don't have any FOMO about missing out on any late night events because nothing's happening. I never played the piano before January. I stink at that too, uh, but it's okay. It just kind of gives me something, something outside of medicine, especially that I can enjoy on my own and, and kind of feel proud of the, even the smallest little wins. You seem to be coping incredibly well, but it is a remarkable moment. You know, everyone's going through something unprecedented. People are facing grief. They might might have lost loved ones. There's a lot of trauma for people on the front line like you. There's a fear of losing jobs and the isolation of lockdown. Are those methods enough? You know, for people who've, who've never tried anything like it, it doesn't sound like deep breathing or exercise or, you know, sort of journaling could really contribute to happiness. Has it made that much of a difference to you? It has made a difference. It, it certainly has, the meditation and the journaling. But you've, you've mentioned everyone else and, and that's something... I have a hard time completely speaking to because my life and how I'm experiencing it is completely different from everyone else. Even amongst my colleagues, you know, sure, we're doing something heroic and it should feel good, but a lot of them have expressed they're worried about their family. And I don't have family nearby here. I grew up in Boston and my family is there. I'm single and I, I only have a cat. And so I don't have this fear of bringing my illness home to my loved ones. And so would these techniques help everybody? Yeah, I think they'd help everybody. Would they be a cure-all though? That would be presumptuous for me to say. But I think everyone has the ability to improve their life somewhat with these techniques. Do you think it'll have a, a net benefit or, or do you think there is a, a massive net negative impact of, of being in lockdown on people's happiness and on well-being? Well, I, I think it really depends. I mean, it, we can't make light of this. There are real economic catastrophes that are happening. There are catastrophes happening to people's health. People and their loved ones are dying. You know, these are really serious hits on people's well-being. But I also think that in small ways, this crisis is actually going to have a benefit. This crisis gives us the opportunity to put into effect better habits that if we keep them are going to benefit us outside this crisis. You know, taking time to Zoom with close friends you haven't talked to in a really long time or, you know, doing a really quick workout where you just throw the towel on the floor and get going in the morning. But the second reason I think that this crisis could really promote our happiness is that so many of us have realized that there are all these things in life that we should have been incredibly grateful for that we were just absolutely taking for granted all the time. I think this with my favorite coffee shop that every morning I would just show up there and get a coffee and not 
think, you know, this is fragile, like this isn't guaranteed in life. But now I'm realizing, oh, my gosh, how could I have walked into that coffee shop every day and not been joyous that I had the opportunity to do that? And so, you know, from like walking into the coffee shop to going to our favorite restaurants to giving my mom a hug. My mom lives in a different state and she's immunocompromised. And so I can't see her. And so when I finally get out of this crisis and give her that hug, you know, or get to taste that latte or get to walk back through a park or go to a movie or a concert, I'm going to save that experience so much more than I would have, you know, back in January or February. Is there a danger that if we don't actively try to be happier in isolation, then we sort of end up changed by it? We end up slightly different at the end of it all. I mean, for example, I was on a, a Zoom conversation with a friend the other day, and I sort of suddenly noticed myself laughing out loud and realised it was the first time all day that I'd done that. Whereas normally, I'd be laughing throughout the day and I just wonder whether it sort of changes your personality after a long time. We're not able to do our normal happiness-boosting activities right now. And that means we need to be more intentional about the practices we are taking. Just like washing our hands and socially distancing, focusing on our well-being, making sure we're putting in as much intention as we can, can help our physical health too. And those are great tips for people who are just going through lockdown and, you know, for whom, I guess, boredom is probably the biggest crisis. But what about the people who are either experiencing grief or who are on the front line day after day. If you're going through grief, if you're going through what this crisis feels like on the front lines, I think it's all the more important that you do things to prioritize your well-being. I think especially for those folks who are going through even harder emotions, this act of doing a little bit of emotion regulation can be incredibly powerful. Do some deep breathing and make sure you're activating your parasympathetic nervous system as much as possible. But I think another tip is just to recognize that we often talk about post-traumatic stress, but there's also post-traumatic growth. Going through an awful experience, going through an experience that causes you to grieve, all of those things ultimately end up building your resilience. And they often can teach us the things that really matter in life. And so I think focusing on the kinds of ways that you can gain some post-traumatic growth can also be a really powerful way to change your mindset in this crisis. What keeps you going through it all? I mean, have, have the people around you helped? I mean, there isn't a day that goes by where we don't receive a card, a meal, something from the community. And yesterday we received three different food shipments from people in the community that want to help. That's the kind of incredible stuff that's happening. I mean, I have a friend, Stephanie, who who said, what can I do? I work at a 3D printing firm. Now, she sent me a, a prototype of a face shield. And she said, can we send these to you? And, you know, I had to run it by our infection control division, but they were fine with it. And she and her company printed out I think it was 200 face shields for our crew and and not for any gain. I said, what, what can we do for you? Can I mention your company? Can I do something? And she said, no, just take it. You're, we we want to do our part so you can do yours. That For me, that was a beautiful moment because that's that's a friend, but that that's just symbolic of what our community is doing. I mean, there are a lot of people that are feeling helpless at home right now um, to feel like, they can't do anything, but the feelings that people are feeling, you're, you're not alone. In fact, we're all having those exact same feelings to some degree, and we're all in different spectrums as far as it goes, and we can all help each other get out of this. Mm-hmm. 
is there something about this crisis that has focused our minds on what really matters? And, and is that important for happiness in the long run? I think a lot of us have seen that already. You know, we're noticing the things that we were taking for granted before that we really should have appreciated. Many of us are coming together to make sure we are taking care of the people we most care about, especially those who are vulnerable and elderly. I think this crisis is focusing our energy on the stuff that really matters. And taking time to make sure you're doing that can be a powerful tool for improving your well-being. Thanks for listening today. I hope it's helped in some way. My guests were Laurie Santos, professor of psychology at Yale University and host of the Happiness Lab podcast, and Dr. Sanjay Shavakramani, a frontline physician in Ohio. The producers on this episode were Brenna Daldorf. What makes me happy are really good conversations. And trees. I really like trees. And Asia Fuchs. What's been keeping me sane and happy during lockdown has been riding my bike all over the city. It's just so quiet and deserted, and there's the sense of just being able to go anywhere. The executive producer is Leo Hornack. My tip is that eight weeks ago, I decided to learn chess for the first time. I've been having a lesson every weekend, and eight weeks later, I still can't play chess the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. What makes me happy is my little dog, Dylan, who brings me so much joy. Music was by Breakmaster Cylinder and sound design was by Carla Patella. One of the things that's made me happy in lockdown is Carla's daughter, Ashling. She's my understudy on this show and I, for one, can't wait for her to take over. Here she is. You're listening to Stories of the Times, the Times and the Sunday Times. Bye-bye. I love you. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.